Hey folks, Heather Cox Richardson and Joanne Freeman here. Thank you for being members of the Cafe Insider community. This is Backstage, a special segment of the Now and Then podcast exclusively for you. We hope you enjoy it. So Heather, one of the interesting things that came to me during this conversation was the ways in which you and I personally are kind of reckoning with what we feel about these various individuals. And it made me think about all the times in which I'm studying someone or writing about something and people come along in which I have a very strong response to them, either a positive or negative response to them, or sometimes I'm surprised by them. And I have to really reckon with my feelings and what I'm feeling about that person versus what I need or feel the need to say about that person as a historian. They're not always the same thing, and sometimes they're very different. And I've been surprised again and again as a historian at moments when I have to take a step back and say, no, 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 like you're, you're, you're having these feelings, but those feelings really don't belong on the page. Okay, now Do you, you have are, moments like that? No, 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 no. You, are, you have totally begged for me to say inadvertently. No, no, no. You have totally got me <laughs> wanting to ask now, oh, really, Joanne? Whom did you have in mind? <laughs> I actually don't have a particular person in mind. I just wrote a book about, for example, Southern members of Congress beating people up to silence discussion of slavery. And they're all, in that sense, reprehensible in one way or another. They're all reprehensible. Some of them who were very open about what they were doing and gave, I guess this was related to what we were just saying, gave voice to what they were doing in a alarmingly obvious way. I didn't admire them. They certainly were not heroes, but I found myself being appreciative of them for that reason, for being blunt, for being open. And then I found myself feeling guilty because I felt appreciative of them for providing me with evidence. You know what I mean? So that it's like you have a, or I certainly feel like I have a personal relationship with some of the people I write about or like the the main character of the last book I wrote, who's a clerk, a minor clerk named Benjamin Brown French, and he had an amazing diary and newspaper columns, and he's an amazing historical source and almost entirely unknown. And I appreciated that he was so sincere and straightforward on paper. He's also someone who is anti-slavery, but very uncomfortable with Black Americans, right? So you see something and you're like, like that's ugly. That's very ugly. But I need to write about him. So now I will reckon with how to put this on paper in a way that gets across what I need to get across about the history of it without necessarily putting in my words my immediate response of the moment. I don't know. Do you have that kind of wrestling match? Well, I have two things going on that that, that brings to mind. One is that the one thing I cannot abide, cannot abide in my the people I study in history, is lying or two-facedness, if you will, which is at the end of the day why I pick on Jefferson so much is because of the crap he pulls on George Washington, you know, where he's like, he's constantly needling Washington, like, oh my God, did you know that somebody has gone ahead and, and created a political party? You know, the I'm having the vapors here because there's a political party. Who was creating it? Thomas Jefferson. You know, that that's just that, that kind of, Salmon P. Chase does the same thing when he's Secretary of the Treasury in 1864. And it makes me crazy reading 
a letter from from him to one person, and the next letter on the same day, in the first one, he says, yes, I totally was responsible for that piece of legislation. It was all me. And in the next letter, he's like, no, I had nothing to do with it. You know, that, that makes see, me crazy. But see, I love that stuff because it's the best evidence. <laughs> I mean, it right there, it's like, look at this person who said X and then said Y and then said X, and they contradict each other. To me, I like sing hosannas to the historical gods because I'm like, well, I can now totally talk about this particular person, expose this particular person, because whether they wanted to or not, they've exposed themselves on paper. Well, but in terms of how you feel about them, though, you know, I will read them and I will write about them. I have at great length, not Thomas Jefferson, but certainly Sam and Pete Chase. And yet I have utter disdain for them. And one of the things that I have found in my career that is kind of a dividing line for me is the depression. Because once you have the great crash, until the great crash, people, to my mind, people on all sides of the political aisle and in all formats tended to tell the truth. That is, they might spin something for sure, but but they would say, yeah, I think rich people should get everything. Or, yeah, I think we should you know, kill these people. You know, you didn't like what they were saying, but but they had integrity about what they were saying. What I hate after the depression is the number of politicians who say, yes, I'm only interested in helping the poor. At the same time, they are killing everything that's going to help the poor. That business of it's not spin anymore, it's straight out lies. And that that to me is unsupportable. I have a really, really hard time with that. That absolutely infuriates me. But when it comes time to writing history, for me, uh, it's less that I have a good opinion about somebody and discover something bad about them. It's the other way around. I go into a situation being like, oh, this guy's going to be horrible. And the more I get to know about him, the more I can say, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. He votes this way on this bill because that's going to give him a leg up on this bill. It's not that he is really trying to do this. He's really doing something else over here. And I feel like my Libra kicks in and I end up <laughs> um, finding is, is people like, like, like I said, like George Crook, who, you know, you look at him on paper and you think, wait a minute, she's picking him as a hero. But the complication of human beings it really, for me, just highlights how very complicated humans are and how very complicated history is and how the vast majority of us really are trying to do the right thing. And it doesn't always play that way when you look, if you will, at the highlights or the low points of someone's career. Right. And and that in that sense, you and I, I think, are, are sort of walking along the same pathway here because I do think in one way or another— we are both really interested in the humanity of history. And by that, I don't mean the generosity of spirit. I mean, in the human condition and what humans, what people choose to do and why they choose to do it and what that means and what moves them, what motivates them. Digging and finding that and the process of doing that, I think, in and of itself, is some of what you and I are responding to emotionally here. You you figure people out, you see what they're doing, you begin to understand why they're doing what they're doing. I don't know if I necessarily walk into what I'm doing sort of, you know, well, this is going to be crappy, but I don't walk in saying, this is going to be wonderful. I sort of walk in, I guess, sort of wondering what I'm going to see. But one way or another, the process you, of figuring— mind you. Mind you, you study Congress critters who are beating each other up with guns right. and, and and weapons. Okay, so you I, don't necessarily right. walk in thinking this is bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well let me let me rephrase that. <laughs> That's a good idea. Why don't you rephrase that? Let me rephrase that. 
I walk in assuming that the behavior is obnoxious, although in that project, I didn't know it was there until I started the project. But once I knew I was writing about violence, yes, I know I'm, t- I'm writing about people who are aggressive and nasty and using violence to get their way and trying to silence people and all of that is bad, yes. But I need to figure out why they're doing what they're doing rather than just saying, well, that person's a jerk and that's, that's why they're doing it. I want to understand why. I want to know why they're doing what they're doing and be able to write about it. And it is hard. And like you said during the episode, there are moments when I've had to put something down, particularly in this most recent project, and walk away from it because what I was writing about was so upsetting and in some cases so much echoed the present in some way. But the the thrill for me in one way or another is figuring out the human dynamic of these historical moments and why people do what they do. And there's a lot of people I write about who I really, really don't like a lot. But if I can figure out why they're doing the detestable thing, then that feels like a like a victory for me. So um, yeah, I guess I hate some of the people I'm I'm writing about, but I love the fact that I can figure them out and then expose them. So you know how I figure out whether or not I've nailed who somebody is? I have a trick. How? I get to know my person and the person that, for example, somebody like Wade Hampton, and I, I read everything I can get my hands on and um, look at how they voted in Congress. I do all that sort of thing. And then if, if I think I know who they are, I pick an event in the future that I think that they will weigh in on. And I write down what I think that they're going to do in response to that event. And if they do it, and it's often not what biographers have said they're going to do, if they do it, I know I've nailed who they are. And um, okay, and that's I thought, fascinating to me. About two thirds of the time I get it on the first try, but sometimes I'm like, what? He voted like that? Or he said like that? And I'm like, oh crap, now I got to go back to square one and, and start reading a lot more. And I keep doing that until I feel like I can predict how they will behave in the future. But I'm fascinated by that because I basically do the same thing. Oh my I, God, are you I a historian? Will, <laughs> I know. How did this happen? But I don't think all historians do that. I don't think all historians f- try to get a hold of a person, get all of the evidence in, and then say what you just said you did. And I've done it too. If I were him and I was in this situation, what would I do? Or what would I say? And then I investigate it. And if they do indeed do or say what I think they're going to do or say, there's like a little part of me that's like, got him. Yeah, I got yeah. it. I understand I know. this person it, in some way. In part because you live with them so intimately for so long. And that was actually a question right. I was going to ask you. Do you ever dream about the characters in your books? Oh, or wow. in history, I guess. Or in history. Or in history. Wow, that's a question I actually have never thought about before. Okay, when I you're asleep and there's this guy <laughs> talking about Aaron Burr, like, does he look familiar? <laughs> I I do not dream about Alexander Hamilton. I, I don't think I do. I think I dream about, I dream about historian things, looking for things, digging for things, finding things, losing things. I don't think I, I, I dream about my, my people, about the people I write about that I can remember, but it sounds like maybe you do. I do. At the end of a book, absolutely. In the in the last the last phase of a book when you're so absorbed with it that you can't think about anything else, it's alive around me all the time. I always think about it like a like I know you're not a trekkie, but on the holodeck, you know, as the world starts to come to life and you call it into existence, by the end of a project, that world is very real to me. And then, you know, you write the end and you 
I guess, walk out of the holodeck and you start all over again. But in those last days, and I think that's maybe why we carry such a burden from some of the books we write, in many ways, we are the people who speak for the dead. With your heroes, write the history of the dead. And if we don't get it right, and if we don't have empathy for them, no matter what their behavior necessarily was, at the end of the day, we're doing more than getting the history wrong. We are sort of destroying who they were. We're sort of destroying them as people. That's a pretty fundamental violation. I think that's true. I think that's very true. And I like that idea that in one way or another, no matter who they are, we're speaking for the dead in addition to speaking of the dead and what they did and literally what they will be remembered for. We help determine that. And I certainly, it sounds like you would say the same thing. There are certainly moments when I think about justice being done to the people I write about, you know, that they need, or I I think empathy is really important to being a good historian. I remember one or two moments when I got lost in the hunt for something and found good evidence, was thrilled with it, and then realized, you know, as a matter of fact, I could give you a specific example. It's not someone who's very prominent, but it was when I was trying to uncover congressional violence, physical violence in the U.S. Congress, and I, it was hard to do, and it took me years to do it. And pretty much in any given Congress, there'd be one or two people who were really the, the main people who would very happily, reliably provide me with material. And I remember my main provider of source material left Congress, and I was kind of panicked. Uh-oh. Like, I know there's a lot of this, but what happens if my main contender goes? And then I found somebody new. And I was following him and he was giving me all kinds of material and I was copying it down. I was like, okay, so there's a new person who's leading me to new stuff. This is great. And then he vanished from just vanished. And I didn't understand why. And I began digging around and trying to find things out. And what I discovered to my absolute horror is that um, he had a really serious drinking problem and he killed himself. So I'm there watching this person act out his illness and just like happily collecting the evidence of it saying, this is great. He's giving me evidence. I was so, I was horror stricken at what I had been doing. I stepped away and thought for a really long time about the importance of empathy and about remembering who and what you're writing about. It shocked me when I found that out. And then I felt such an intense guilt about it. I don't think I've ever quite had that experience as a historian before, but it still actually bothers me years and years and years later. Well, I will say that when my characters arrive in my dreams, they are not high-fiving me. You know, they're, 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 <laughs> un, they're unhappy about something that I have not gotten right yet. And that's not, not that they're speaking to me in dreams, but there's that constant fear of I'm not telling the story right and by the end of a book project, they're saying it in their own words, or at least indicating it. But I guess maybe that's one of the things that that indicates why we chose this profession is because if we care about it this deeply, with any luck, we're doing a decent job. And in one way or another, maybe offering insights of, of empathy and history to others, and even in the best of all possible worlds, maybe leading them to find their own heroes. Thank you for joining us backstage. Be sure to write to us with your thoughts and questions at letters at cafe.com. See, See you next time. time.